Well, thank you. I'm not sure that I can live up to the, the build-up, and I certainly can't do the Scottish accent. So. <laughs> oh, he's Scottish? <laughs> But um, there we are. So if you're in the daily reading, and if you're up to date, you're actually in the New Testament. At last! Some people say, oh, we don't need the Old Testament. Well, you're chucking off about three quarters of the whole Bible if you do that. And it points forward to Jesus, the coming of Jesus. And that's where we are. If you're up to date, and if you're not up to date, well, you've heard what to do. Keep pressing on. Not long now. Okay. Now... That's a strange title. Faith and Ambiguity. This was triggered off, this thought was triggered off by something I read in the book that most of our home groups are doing. And by the way, if you are in a home group, your home group will probably be restarting. It may or may not have had a break. Check with your leader. If you're not in a home group, you ought to be. See Kathy, and she will point you in the right direction. There's various home groups that come about at various times of the day and week. Um, Good chance to study together, to pray together, to support one another, and to grow in relationship in a small group in a way that you can't do in the whole church. Just too many people. So home groups are functioning. If you need to be in a group, you want to be in a group, have a word with Kathy, or if you know one of the leaders of a group, find out when they meet. But the book that we're looking at, many of the home groups are looking at, is this book called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. And there was something in that that triggered off the thoughts that I'm going to be bringing this morning. So, faith and ambiguity. Now, the first thing I I did, I thought, now that word ambiguity, I think I know what it means, but let me just check it out because it sounds good anyway. And ambiguity is something to do with uncertainty, uncertainty of meaning or intention. To put it simply, sometimes things aren't plain straightforward. And we're going to be looking this morning at something to do with God's will. We talk a lot about being in the will of God. Is this God's will? It's God's will that I should do this, go there, do that. What is God's will? Am I in it? Have I slipped out of it? What is it? And I want us to spend a few minutes... um, thinking around this subject by asking some questions and the first thing I'm saying is when we have faith in Jesus that is fantastic but it doesn't mean that everything is straightforward and clear cut there is ambiguity there is sometimes uncertainty there is sometimes well I wonder if or if God this then why that it's not always simple but faith is that confidence in God The Bible says we walk by faith, not by sight. If it was all clear-cut, if we could understand everything, if God had set it out for us, ten steps to holy living and get on with it, and it's all nice and simple, there wouldn't be any need for faith. Because we could see it, we could grasp it, but the very nature of faith is something that we reach out to that we can't see, as it says in Hebrews. There's something there, there's, there's that sense of being in God's presence, but it's not tangible yet. And so that's why I want us to look at this. Just what is God's will? There is some ambiguity. Things are not always straightforward or clear. Let me read you some verses from Acts 13 just to to set the scene. This is Acts 13 verse 1. Now in the church at Antioch there were prophets and teachers. Barnabas, Simeon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaen, who had been brought up with Herod to Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshipping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. And two of them, sent on their way by the Holy Spirit, went down to Seleucia and sailed from there to Cyprus. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the Jewish synagogues. Is this the norm? Here was a group of Christians. There were some prophets around. Oh, dodgy having prophets around. They sometimes come up with stuff that's not very popular. There were teachers. And what were they doing? They were worshipping and fasting. 
And the Holy Spirit said, here is God communicating his will to some of the disciples. It says, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me, Saul and Barnabas, for the work that I've, I've, I've got for them to do. What does that mean? The Holy Spirit said, was there a voice from heaven? We don't know. Did the prophets sense what God was saying? Because prophets are people who sometimes can declare the heart of God. Did the prophets there sometimes somehow sense that God was leading in this direction? Did Paul and Barnabas have an inner conviction? Did the meeting just discuss it and say, what should we do? Well, we think Paul and Barnabas, it would be good if you went off on a, a journey to preach the gospel. Did they just discuss it? What happened? We don't know. But in some way, God communicated his will and it seemed relatively clear cut. It seemed that uh, they were all happy about that, and it looks simple. It sounds simple. And maybe it was in that circumstance. But this is just to point out the opposite, an exception, if you like, that finding and knowing and living in and being directed by God's will is not always that straightforward. Is this, the Holy Spirit said, in whatever that means, the norm? Well, if it was a sense of a, a, a God speaking in a very supernatural way, that is not the norm. It doesn't happen often like that. It may do sometimes. But there was a sense of direction, and off Paul and Barnabas went. And we're going to look at this whole question of, of knowing, trying to see and know God's will. Now, if, you, if you're one who has note, likes doing notes, you'll see we've got some questions in the bulletin. Now, I have to keep it simple. Because if it's not simple, I can't understand it. So the chances are that you can look at those notes and questions and you can fill in the answers without having heard the sermon. So if you want to go to sleep, feel free, so long as you filled in the answers first, okay? Um, it's just some pointers, some helpers, but I like to keep it simple. My brother, he was over here a few weeks ago. Some of you met him. He's a bit of a theologian. He's quite liberal. That's not an insult. He would say he's liberal theologically, and he is. We have some interesting discussions sometimes. Um, but he says that every good sermon should have a Monday morning factor. The Monday morning factor is how is what I've heard on Sunday actually earthed, and how do I live it out on Monday morning? And I hope that there will be a Monday morning factor in, in what we're going to be looking at. Although tomorrow morning's a public holiday, but a Tuesday morning, okay, <laughs> Tuesday morning factor when you go back to work, okay? Um, in other words, it isn't just pie in the sky, but the Word of God is relevant to our daily life. And he is very passionate that any sermon should be, and he's quite right, that, that it should have an application, something that we can get hold of and that's going to be useful to us. So, God's will, let's look at the big picture. I like the big picture. You know that verse from Ephesians chapter 1? To bring unity to all things and heaven and on earth under Christ, or to bring all things together. This is God's will over creation. Okay? This is God's will. He is in the process of working towards that. It is not complete that. That is his ultimate will. That is the big picture. And everything else that we're going to say has got to come under that. Because that is what God is doing. That is God's business plan, if you like. That is what he's in the business of doing in this world. Of saving people, of building a people for himself. That all things eventually will come together under Christ. We don't currently see that. We see evil. We see things that are not under the Lordship of Christ. One day that will change, but not yet. But that is what God is doing overall. That is his business plan, and the outcome is that everything will come under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Sounds good, but there's a lot of work to be done. The deciding factor has already happened. There's no doubt that it's going to happen. That was decided 2,000 years ago. But here we are in the midst of God's plan, um, his business plan, working towards that. Is it complete? No, it isn't. Evil is yet to be eradicated. Um, but God is on the move. Now, that's the big picture. That doesn't help me on Tuesday morning. So let's look at some verses that help us on Tuesday morning. In asking the question, how does that affect me, this big business plan of God? Well, these are some key verses. I love these verses, particularly that one from Micah. Micah has been 
speaking the word of the Lord to the people and he's been telling them how God doesn't like their religiosity. Stop doing all this religious stuff. In effect, Micah was saying, well, that's pretty heavy stuff. But that was the heart of God. They were tied up in religion and actually lost God. They were tied up in religion but had lost God. Wow. Could we do that? I certainly hope not. And so what Micah was saying is this is what God wants. He doesn't want your religiosity. He wants justice. He wants mercy. He wants you to walk humbly with your God. In other words, this is God's will for you. Forget everything else. This is God's will. And Peter, in the New Testament, sums it up. says, be holy. You want to know what God's will is? Be holy, because God is holy. Just be like God. Simple. What more is there to be said? Amen. Off you go. You're dismissed. Be holy. Sit still. He nearly went out. I saw him. God dear. Um, This is God's will. Now, in other words, what Micah is saying, God's will is to do with your character and to do with your morals. And I love that expression, to walk humbly with your God. If you're walking, you're on the move. Is your relationship with God on the move or has it got stuck? Mm, Something to ponder. Is your relationship with God moving along or are you stuck or even going backwards? But it is God's will for us to walk humbly, humbly, not arrogantly, not proudly, but humbly before our, with our God. And I like that because walking, and I probably said this before, <coughs> walking is the pace of life. When we move around, if we're not in the car, we normally walk. Occasionally we might have to run if we've missed an appointment or we're late for something, but walking implies the daily routine. It's what we do on Tuesday morning when we get up and have breakfast and get ready and have a shower, go to work and think of all the things that we're supposed to do at work, or we sort the kids out. Walking is the pace that we attack life with normally. We don't just sit down and do nothing in life. We can't run a marathon all the time. We walk. And God is saying, you can walk with me. Your daily life, I'm walking with you. I want you to walk with me. We're together in this. This is God's will, that we walk, that we tackle life, the routine, with God humbly. That's what he wants. It's God's prescription for the routine. Sometimes we're given the impression that the Christian life is is like a sort of a roller coaster and it's excitement all the time and it's as if we're in a sort of Christian theme park. It's not like that. Well, it may be sometimes. Sometimes you go to camp, you have a fantastic time. God really says something special to you. Whoa, fantastic. Hold on to that. But most of life is not, is it not fairly boring, normal, routine getting up, doing the stuff going to bed, getting up doing the stuff and we think where is God in all this? He is wanting to walk with you, he is wanting you to walk with him, he has a place for you in his heart Okay. so because of that finding God's will we normally focus in on what we do. Shall I do this? Shall I do that? But God is not concerned with who we are. That's an important one. Okay? It's not so much what we do, but who we are. What sort of a person are you? Your character is better, is more important than action. Sometimes we hear, oh, God has got a wonderful plan for your life. And we'll come back to that later. This is it. He wants to know who you are as a person. We were singing, I'm a child of God. What does that mean? What sort of a person am I? It's not so much what I do, but who we are that's important. Why? Well, that's our God. Our God is full of justice, mercy, righteousness, humility. Yes. Sorry? Peter, be holy because I'm holy. Yes. Yes. Thank you. She's checking up on me. <laughs> Just checking that I'm not missing things. <laughs> okay. So we're trying to make this personal. <laughs> so yeah, humbly, justice, mercy, 
holiness, holy living. That's what God is after. Not so much what you do as who you are. Let's move on before I get distracted again by my <laughs> nearest and dearest. Now, I'm going to ask a dangerous question. Don't misunderstand what that question means, okay? It's a question that I don't have a complete answer to, but it's a question that I think it's worth us mulling over in our own walks, our own walk with Jesus. And some of what I'm saying this morning is bound in Scripture. Micah, Peter, Acts. That's cast iron solid. You can defer, you can confirm that, you can get hold of that and say, this is truth. Some of what I'm saying is, well, I wonder. And perhaps you can take it or leave it. You're just as qualified to judge some of these questions as I am. But it's good to mull them over. It's good to look at these questions and be clear that things are not always straightforward. So how narrow or broad is God's will? Is there just one railway line? That somehow I'm on this railway line and I'm never going to depart, and if I depart, I'm in sin? Or is there a mishmash of different railway lines that all seem to be going roughly in the same direction but I might change to this track or what about that track? Now don't get me wrong, I am not saying that there is more than one way to God, no Jesus said I am the way, the truth and the life no one comes to the Father but by me absolutely, so I'm not saying there's lots of ways to, to get to heaven there is only one way and that is through Jesus but having found that way having found that way that narrow way that leads to life just how narrow or broad is the will of God within God's narrow way so I'm not backtracking on any of our basic theology Jesus is the only way uh, if the Bible says it's a narrow way and few there be that find it there is a broad way that leads to destruction and many people find that we don't want to go that way but having found that narrow way and having been walking with Jesus how do I find my way through with the questions that I have to ask myself during life let's get back to some basics let's go back to the Garden of Eden oh dear, a question short question yes in your opinion in your opinion is our life like the right side where we have many different ways to get to the left side because ultimately the will of God is to be in heaven that's the left side the right side is how we get there we may, it's all going that way. Mm-hmm. But eh, we may go this way. Eh, we may take a right here, get to a different track, but we always end up back on the left. Is that safe? Well, we'll sort of come back to that a bit later, but um, I'm trying to ask the question, as I don't have a complete answer. Is there just one narrow pre programmed way, or do I have choice within? the way of Jesus and we'll be looking at it a bit more a bit later if that's okay all right Um, back to the garden of Eden what happened there God created man and woman we're not worried about whether it's seven days or seven periods or whatever God created man and woman we didn't evolve from lumps of nothing okay Um, God created us we're both born made in his image male and female made in the image of God we were put in the garden of Eden or Adam and Eve were put there and God said okay here it is get on with it look after this subdue the earth rule over it be fruitful multiply in other words God commissioned Adam and Eve with work to do now did they have to wake up in the morning and say and, and phone God up and say God where shall I plant the carrots and the next day, God, do I water the plants today or tomorrow? And the next day, God, do we build a home? And if so, have you got any construction materials and how do we do it? God said, get on with it. I'm commissioning you. I'm giving you this earth. You rule over it. You subdue it. You be fruitful and multiply. People don't normally have a problem with that. Um, you do it. I'm commissioning you. Yes, I'm here. I want to walk with you in that garden. But I'm giving you the responsibility for maintaining it and subduing the earth. That's my will for you. So if you're acting within that, you're acting within my will. It all went wrong. We know that. But this is what God 
wanted. And he made us male and female, as I said, in his image. What does it mean that we're made in the image of God? Well, lots of things, but just a few things very, very briefly. We're made for relationship. We are made for relationship with God and other people. So that's how we're made, to relate to God, to relate to others. We're made with the capacity to choose. Adam and Eve could choose. They made some bad, they made some bad choices. But we have the ability to choose. We have the ability to make moral judgments, good or bad. We have the ability to make intelligent thought. I sometimes wonder about that with myself, intelligence. But most of us have some intelligence with which we think things through. We can judge things. And we are made with the whole ability of creativity, of being able to, or wanting to sort of create something, make something good, do something with the materials we have and make something positive out of it. There's a whole lot more we could talk about the image of God, but that's part of it. They were given a job to do. Um, God commissioned them and they had freedom, they had responsibility, they also had boundaries. You can eat of anything you like, but not that, God said. So there were boundaries to their freedom and to their responsibility. They were to enjoy this relationship with God and each other, but live within their delegated authority. (coughs) Pardon me. And if you remember in the New Testament, we have the parable of the talents, where the master gives his different servants different talents, says, here, I'm going away. I'm giving you responsibility. I'm giving you the resources. Use them. You know my business plan. You know what, I'm, my, the, what business I'm in. I want you to work within that business with the resources that I'm going to give you. Now there are limits. One had... Oh, thanks, Tim. One had ten, one had five, one had one. Different people were given different, different talents. But they all had that task of getting on with father's business, the master's business, um, with what they got. And God has given us abilities and he has asked us to get on with what he's doing. Now the guy with one talent, sadly, didn't make a lot of it and was criticised for it. The others got on with what they were given and were praised for that because they put it to work. And there's something there for us, the talents being given responsibility. And God says, well, you know what I'm in the business of doing. I'm in the business of making everything come under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. That's the overall business plan. Is what you're doing in line with that? If you're wondering what to do, well, find something that's in line with that. It's not as simple as that, as we shall see, but there's something there. Okay, so we've got this dangerous question that I've sort of hedged hedged around but we will come back to a little bit but remember there is no clear-cut answer to this this is why we need faith and not just logic Um, but what about life choices all this airy fairy stuff what about the Tuesday morning factor okay which college should I go to what career should I pursue should I move house where do I live who should I marry which church do I go to? Now, about that job offer I've been, off, I've been offered, what do I do about it? Decisions that we all need to make at one time or another. And we have these railroad tracks. How many railroad tracks are there? Is it just one preset line which I must stick to? How much is God involved? Do I have any freedom to choose? Yes, I do. Can I get it wrong? Yes, I can. How much can I use my powers of judgment and choice? Open-ended question. Freedom within godly boundaries. Adam and Eve had freedom, but within boundaries. God gives us freedom within boundaries. Take a nice easy example. Whom should I marry? Oh, well, that's an easy one. Well, it's not easy to find the person, but the boundaries are easy. And the first one is this, which needs to be said in this day and age. One, if I'm a bloke, I need to marry a girl. If I'm a girl, I need to marry a bloke. That's the first boundary. We may laugh at that. Ten years ago, we may not need to say that, but in this day and age, we do. That is a godly boundary. Some churches will say it doesn't matter. As I understand it, our church stands for the traditional view that marriage is between one man man, and one woman. It's in one of our 
appendixes to our constitution. There's another boundary that I think scripture very, very strongly portrays, and that is, if you're a believer, you should marry a believer. So within this decision, there are boundaries. Some of the others, they're not so easy. But within this, there are boundaries. So within that, is there just one person somewhere in this big wide world that I've got to stumble across, and anybody else, it's sin? I don't know. It's one to think about. How do I make that decision? Well, do we seem to get on well together? Do we communicate well? Do we have similar interests? Is our life, are our lives sort of, are we trying, are we, do we seem to be going in the same direction? Can we communicate? Um, do we get along? Is there trust? Is there love? Is there an ease of relationship there? Is there a common understanding of things? Is there compatibility? Sometimes the person just jumps out at us. As, far, as soon as we see that girl or that, that guy, we say, that's the one. And God may well be in that. Hold on to that. Hold on to godly counsel. So we have the boundaries, and in addition to those fairly clear-cut boundaries, I would say, well, is this person I'm thinking of marrying, where's their emotional stability thing, you know? Where, where are they at? Um, is this going to be an abusive relationship or a positive, loving relationship? And there's counsel from others as well. So things in this sort of decision may or may not be clear-cut. If they're not clear-cut, well, I think this is right. I do love this person. He or she is a Christian, and other people seem to think that we, we go together. Okay, God, is this okay? Are you in on this? Ask God. Now, you may not get a flashing light, but maybe there will be a sense of, yes, this is good, this is right. Or back off look somewhere else um, but I believe that listening to others listening to God hearing what they say is so important we live by faith not by sight now in the book that we're looking at in the groups there's a quote here from a guy called Ignatius of Loyola who was the founder of the Jesuits an ancient order uh, religious order and he is quoted in this book, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. Ignatius rightly emphasized the foundation of a complete commitment to do God's will, follow scripture, and seek wise counsel. Yet in addition, he provided excellent guidelines for sorting out how God speaks to us through the raw material of our emotions. Mm. The issue is not by any means to blindly follow our feelings but to acknowledge them as a part, a part of the way God communicates with us. Ignatius explored the difference between consolations, those interior movements and feelings that bring life, joy, peace, and the fruit of the Spirit, and desolations, which bring us death, inner turmoil, disquiet, spiritual turbulence. With this awareness of what we are feeling, Ignatius echoed the Apostle John, who said, Do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. That's from 1 John 4. Sometimes they are our fleshly desires or the enemy. Other times God is prodding us to a better choice. God intends that we mature in learning to recognize how he speaks and guides us through our feelings. Now that's a bit long and complicated and heavy. Read the book because if you're in the group you may well have this book, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. Um, It's page 48 and it's where the writer is talking about this whole question of emotions and God's will because our emotions can lead us haywire or they can help us be on a holy path. Worth thinking about. I like his reference to consolations or desolations. Is what I'm feeling and thinking, is it leading to life or death? If I do this, what could be the consequences be? Or do I need to look elsewhere? So, let me give you an example of finding God's will, I believe. I might have said this before, so I'm sorry if it's a repeat. Um, years ago, before we were living permanently here, we were looking for a church because we would come over here, stay with our family or near our family for three months at a time, something like that. We were looking for a church. We'd never heard of this Harmony Church, and it wasn't then that we came to Harmony, although we might have visited it once, I think. 
but I can't remember. And our son said, I'll try such and such a church over, over there. So he said, okay, never heard of them. But we walked into this little church. It was called Vision Church in Pine Island. And it so happened that the day that we arrived there, to try and cut a long story short, the pastor had emailed the church elders the night before saying, I quit. <laughs> literally. Literally. And we walked in on the Sunday morning when the church was about to find this out. Uh-huh. There was, it was not a worship service. It was a discussion. The chair of the board um, read, said, I got an email from the pastor. And I thought, I think the pastor's quit. And I was right. And we walked in on this. The church was in complete and utter shock. What do we do? And we were sitting and we said to one another, shall we we leave? And we said, no, no, we'll we'll stay. Here are some people that are in pain. We will stay. And and to cut a long story short, we thought maybe God's in this, in us being here. Now, I have to say, we knew it would only be there for a temporary time. And we weren't in any official position. I wasn't pastor or anything like that. We just attended the church when we were over here. And this lasted, I think, for 18 months. It is a liberal... Sorry, it's closed down now. It was a liberal church. And they knew we were from a more... Bible-believing evangelical background, we knew that the church had a far more liberal stance. We respected one another, we disagreed with one another, but they seemed to appreciate us being there. And we refer that to that as our vision moment. It's called Vision Church. Our vision moment. And that was quite clear. God took us there and we say, well, this, there's a coincidence here. Maybe God is in this. So we stayed there for 18 months, knowing it would always be temporary, and it also became clear that we should move on at the end of that time, which we did. But here is the time when God fairly clearly, in our understanding, pointed us in a certain direction. But then, of course, when we left there, okay, what church are we going to now? And I think we started going to another one for a few weeks, um, and we didn't feel comfortable there. Um, then I think we walked into this church called Harmony Baptist Church and we thought oh well could be we were looking for another vision moment we were looking for lightning flashes or you know a thunderbolt saying that's the church for you (laughs) it didn't happen it didn't happen in fact the guy who was the pastor gave us all the reasons not to join and tried to stop us from joining but in this instance <laughs> in this instance there was no vision moment but there was a, a a reasonable I think godly assessment well could could this be a place for us to settle in and we felt yeah I think so was it the only church God supposing we'd gone to another church down the road would God have been wagging his finger and say that's not the church I want you in you're in sin I'm not so sure it's that clear cut this is me, you, you form your own thoughts on that. But this is where we felt through using our, I hope, godly um, minds that God created us, remember, created in his image. We made the decision, and here we are. Um, sometimes it's easy, sometimes it's not. God, I wish you'd always make it easy, but hang on, we do live by faith. And sometimes we just have to accept that it won't be clear-cut, there will be some ambiguity, but God, unless you show me very, very clearly, this is where I'm going, and I believe that it's okay with you. That's good. God can work with that. He has ways of making his things known. Let's look at an example from the New Testament, because everything always goes so smoothly in the New Testament. Okay. Here we have an instance in Acts chapter 15. Oh, really? There's Paul and Barnabas and they got their boxing gloves on. Sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, this is Acts 15.36, let's go back and visit the believers in all the towns where we preach the word of the Lord and see how they're doing. Barnabas wanted to take John also called Mark, with them. But Paul did not think it wise to take him, because he deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Oh, New Testament church life, this is really it. 
Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and left, commanded by the believers to the grace of the Lord. He went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. So here's Paul and Barnabas having a row and parting company. It's, it's there. It's staring us in the face. They had a disagreement. It was so sharp. They said, well, I'm not going with you. and I, You go this way. I'm going that way. We're not, we're not, we can't resolve this. We can't work together at the moment. Who was right and who was wrong? It doesn't tell us. Paul um, and Silas were commended by the church. Does that mean that the church said, yeah, to Paul and Silas, yeah, we think you're right. Don't take Mark. Uh, um, Barnabas took Mark doesn't say he was commended by the church so was he sort of out on a limb I don't know but later on we find all these guys working together so either Paul had to come back to Mark and say I'm sorry Mark we should have taken you I'm sorry I had a real bad attitude towards you or maybe Mark had to say to Paul I'm sorry I I did desert you I, I chickened out I was wrong to do it I don't know but the fact is who was right and who was wrong the result is instead of one missionary journey we had two which sounds like a good thing to me so sometimes things bring confrontation but the outcome can actually be positive was there a right or wrong decision was Paul right, was he wrong was Barnabas right, was he wrong did God have a view on this we don't know we can understand Paul saying I'm not taking him last time we took him he, he walked out on us no way we can understand Barnabas saying hey give him another chance he's a brother in the Lord he's grown from that let's take him with us you can understand both points of view and sometimes as Christians we can have equally valid points of view which are different and where is God's will in all this we work through by faith and sometimes things work out well let me give you another example from my own experience. Some years ago I went to El Salvador. It was, I think we were attending the, this church but weren't members at that time. The reason I went to El Salvador was that there was a, a medical mission going there. I'm not medical, but they wanted a sort of pastor type person. And the leader, who was a doctor, approached my son and asked whether he might like to go and he couldn't go so he said oh see my dad he's got nothing to do he'll go so the leader of the trip the doctor approached me and said would I consider coming on this trip it's only a, a eight nine ten days I think ten day trip to El Salvador medical mission we got doctors nurses dentists we go out to villages where there's a lot of poverty and we we treat them you don't have to be a dentist or doctor, but we need devotions, we need a pastor. Would you like to come? Now, again, no flashing lights. The invitation was there. The opportunity was there. I thought, well, I have done this. I have been a pastor in the past, but what can I say to some of these seasoned medical nurses and doctors who've been doing this, who are mature Christians for years, what can I say to them in a completely different situation that they're familiar with? I'm totally green with that sort of situation abroad. So there was self-doubt, but in the end, I thought, yeah, okay, I'll go talk to Carolyn about it. I went. It was great. Um, the year later, Carolyn went as a nurse. Um, but the point there was, there was no flashing light, there was no word from the Lord, but I weighed it up. Is it consistent with God's business plan? Yes, it is. Have I got the resources? Well, that was okay. Have I got the opportunity? Yes. Have I got some sort of background that could perhaps help in this? Well, yeah, possibly, although there's drawbacks of that. So I made a decision which I felt quite at peace about by exercising my faith and using my brain not a lot of it around now but I did and that's sometimes how we work out God's will God was silent except that it felt quite peaceful the whole idea of going felt positive and peaceful and that's sometimes how guidance works out would God have been terribly offended if I hadn't gone I don't know but I believe he was in it so you know I think if I said no I'm not going Maybe God will say, hmm, nah, hmm, I was hoping you might go. I don't know. Interesting. So how can I decide? Well, 
But those are all sorts of ways of deciding how to decide, of, of, of that bringing into consideration where we help try to decide God's will. One of the most important factors, which I haven't asked yet, is how much do you want to know God's will and how much do you actually want to follow God's will? Last week, Tim was talking about the difference between interest and commitment. How much do you actually want to know what God, how God is leading you? Because what if he says something that puts you on a railway track that you're not so happy with, that you don't really want to know? Well, I'll do your will, but it's got to be within this. God doesn't bargain. God doesn't bargain. He has a will for us. He has things for us to do. And there's all those things that can help us make the decisions. It's not clear-cut. Let me give you another, even more silly, trivial example, but it illustrates what I think is a valid point. Okay? It concerns leisure pursuits. Many of us have some sort of leisure pursuit. You probably might know mine. If I'm not watching Premier League soccer, I'm messing around with an old car. I see Brian nodding. (laughs) What? A Christian? Messing around with old cars. He shouldn't be using his money for that. He should be investing it in the kingdom. Well, six days shall you labor and rest, and on the seventh day you need a Sabbath. The Sabbath is not Saturday when we do nothing, and and all the other days of the week we do everything. We need a break. In other words, what I'm saying is I believe doing something different, some sort of leisure pursuit tied up with creativity, is a valid exercise for us as Christians. You may knit. You may play golf, you may paint, you may collect stamps, you may do any one of a whole host of different things in your leisure. You may watch certain television programs, you may like reading certain books, but you probably have something that you like to do in your downtime. That is valid, so long as it is in, within limits. Mine was messing around with old cars. So, given that, I got on to find an old car. Now... Had God got a whole car hidden away waiting for me to find, and if I buy any other one, it's I'm in sin? No. I believe that if God was saying something to me about this when I was looking for a car, it would be more along, slightly tongue-in-cheek, well, Derek, if you want a car, oh, good for you, go find one. Enjoy it. Best of luck. In other words, God sometimes enables us to use our own initiative. We may make an unwise decision. But if it's is it within the overall legitimate sphere of our lives being lived under the Lordship of Jesus Christ, good, go for it. But what if it seems that what you want may not be wise? Oh, I want this fantastic Ferrari. It's only going to cost $500,000. We can get a loan for that. Well, we can get a few loans for that. Oh, I got it. Fantastic. That's a little bit out of proportion, it seems to me. That would be extremely unwise, um, obviously. Um, So you have to use this as well as this, as well as this. We are created as whole people. We are not divided into the spiritual, the secular, the intellectual, the spiritual, all the rest of it. We are a child of God. And all these factors can be involved in the decisions that we make. And all those ways are there to help us. Is it within God's business plan? Is it within God's business plan? Now, we're getting towards the end. Sometimes things go wrong. Okay. Suppose we get it wrong. Suppose something happens. As earlier on I was saying, we're sometimes told, oh, God has a marvellous plan for your life. Discover your destiny. God's got a plan. Okay. What does that say to the person who, five years into this plan, is struck down with cancer and dies? What does it say to this person who is trying to serve God and gets murdered? What does it say to this person who takes their own life? Many families sitting here have had tragedies like that. We have, and many of you have. What does that say about God's will? 
Does it tell us that God decrees suffering, God decrees crime, God decrees violence, God decrees abuse? No. There is a whole load of stuff going on in this world that is not God's will. But, well, I shouldn't say unfortunately, it seems unfortunate, but he allows it. So sometimes lives are cut short, unfairly, unjustly, through crime, through illness, through violence, through abuse, through addiction, through whatever it may be. Has God slipped up? Is it a punishment that that person doing wrong? No. It's a recognition that we live in this world where things are not yet under the lordship of Jesus Christ. Could God have prevented it? Yes, he could. Why didn't he? I wish he would. (laughs) We don't know. But what I am convinced of is that whatever God allows and whatever tragedy happens, God has not lost his grip on your life. And he's also not lost his grip on the life of the victim either. Okay, that person may have lost their grip on this life, but God never let go of them. And God, well, we talked about Job some weeks ago. What more can we say? This isn't a talk about suffering, and it's an enormous subject. But God is there even when he allows stuff that is not good. And how can you, what do you say to this person who, who, whose life has been cut short? Oh, God's got a lovely plan for your life. Just get in with God's will. Discover your destiny. Huh? Yeah. yeah, right. It's not that simple. God does have a plan. We looked at that plan. God's plan is for you to live a holy life. And when tragedy happens, we have to decide, am I going to give in to hurt, bitterness, depression, or am I going to fight it? and find out what God's plan, what God's will is for me for the rest of my life. Suppose we get things wrong. Divorce. Crime. Have we blown it with God? Is that it? Well, God is a God of plan B and C and D. That is not compromising God's integrity or his holiness. Plan B was already in existence before the foundation of the world. Plan B was Jesus. Jesus only had to come because of sin. There was no original sin before the fall. It wasn't how God wanted things to be. But he knew what was going to happen and he still went ahead with creating us. But plan B was already there because we talk about the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. Wow. That sacrifice was already there. I was listening this morning on the radio to that song, Reckless Love. Reckless love. I love it. Normally when we use the word recklessness, it's to do with somebody doing, whether it's a, a reckless driver or in a soccer player, a soccer player can making a reckless tackle that breaks his opponent's leg. It's doing something with no regard to the consequences. Recklessness. Jesus paid no regard to the consequences. His love was reckless. He didn't almost stop to think, what does that mean for me? He was going to lose his life. His, li- his love was so reckless, he was going to go ahead with it, whatever. That's the reckless love of God. And those bits in that song about him charging through walls and over into buildings and over pursuing us, he won't let go. And just because you get a divorce, he's not going to let go of you. Just because you get involved in some sort of dishonesty, he's not going to let go of you. You've just got to repent. And he is there for you. God has a plan B when plan A goes wrong in your life. Or when you realize, oops, I got it wrong here. Fine. God is a God of restoration and redemption. Whatever you've been mixed up in. Whatever you might get involved with. So, God's plan is for you to live a holy life. It's not so much a question of discover God's plan. It's not out there. It's already here. You're in it. You're in it. Unless, of course, you have never got on board with God's business plan of salvation. Have you got to that point of accepting Jesus as your saviour, as acknowledging him as Lord, that he is the one who is over this universe, he is the one who has died for you to save you from sin? We all need to make that commitment first. But plan B began before the foundation of the world. And God is not about to give up on you. So summing up, we're nearly there. I've asked lots of questions. I haven't had 
answers to all of them because there are no answers to some of them clear cut you have to work it out for yourself that's why your faith cannot be inherited from your parents or your pastor or your church your faith is your relationship with jesus and within that you have to work out what god is saying to you now there are ways of helping that we've looked at but these are the things that we are sort of prerequisites pursue holiness chase after holy living don't let go hate evil cling to what is good live within whatever godly boundaries there are the word of god has got a whole load you know what the boundaries are live by faith you won't always see it but i believe this god might be in this i believe this is right so i'm going to go ahead lord i'm open to you be open to the spirit maybe god will have a word for you from somebody else or or from scripture sometimes you know we have to be careful with that sort of thing but sometimes god does speak supernaturally that's fantastic hold on to that and don't forget that you bear god's image we are not robots we are not automatons we are not zombies we are made in the image of god and we have abilities that god wants us to use for his glory and to contribute to his business plan let's pray let's stand and pray together Lord, we want to thank you that you didn't give up on us. We want to thank you that however many false starts we've had, however many wrong directions we've taken, Lord, you are there. You're the God of redemption, restoration and renewal. You're the God of life. And we want to thank you that we are made in your image. We bear your image. And we can only grasp a little bit of what that means. But help us, Lord, to understand more. Father, sometimes making decisions is easy. They're made for us. There's no choice. It's obvious. Sometimes it's not so easy. And we ask for your help. We want to live within your business plan. We want to live holy lives. We want to act justly. We want to work with righteousness. We want to walk humbly with you. We want to live a holy life. Lord, fill us afresh with your Holy Spirit. Enable us to live for you. Help us to enjoy that walk with you daily. And may we just see the the love of Jesus shining through. Lord, we want to be on board with your business plan. We want to see more and more coming under the Lordship of Jesus. Forgive us when we get it wrong. Help us, fill us with your spirit. Be with us for the rest of this day. Go with us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You are dismissed.